as many of you know, on this channel, on Mondays and Wednesdays, I put out a news video that just sort of covers the major topic uh, news stories of the day. I've taken all of November's videos. I've put them together in one big aggregate uh, video. So you can sit down and listen to the entire news cycle uh, for the month of November. Hope you enjoy. Today is November 1st, 2023. Welcome to the show. We have a lot of economic updates to cover today. According to the latest stats, Canada GDP numbers, Canada is on the verge of a recession. We're going to look at how that story might turn out. The Federal Reserve this morning, it made its rate announcement. We're going to bring you up to speed there. Also this morning, the Institute for Supply Management said that the ISM manufacturing PMI slipped to 46.7 in October, falling well below the consensus of 49. I'll give you the latest numbers there. Plus, I've got details on the latest earnings reports for you. The government has given a last-minute extension to people who may be subject to file tax returns for the underused housing taxes. I'll update you on that story. And finally, on today's program, shares of WeWork were down 50% this morning. No doubt for them, bankruptcy is just around the corner. Let's get started with today's news. Stats Canada yesterday, it released its preliminary GDP estimate for September. The results that came out are no doubt going to spur this big debate over whether Canada's economy is in fact slipping into a recession. It looks like GDP, given this estimate, is going to fall by 0.1% annualized in the third quarter. And that follows a 0.2% drop that we saw in the second quarter. The current estimates are going to be revised on November 30th. But if they do hold, it will definitely slide Canada into what some believe is a technical recession at a minimum. That's typically when there are two consecutive quarters of declining GDP. And that's exactly what we're going to see. I do know that there is a ton of debate over whether the economy sliding by 0.1% for two quarters is actually anything we need to worry about. Whether it's official uh, recession or not, that's going to be debated. Bottom line is that these are not strong numbers that we're seeing out there right now. Now, if we look at the bright side of this equation, it will be more evidence to the Bank of Canada that will allow them to decide that maybe we're at the end of that rate hiking cycle. We've seen uh, the rate there now go from 0.25% back in early 2022 to its current level of 5%. And if the goal was to slow down the economy, to slow down economic growth, well, it seems like it's going to be working. Now, despite what economists say is a technical recession, Bank of Canada Governor Tiff Macklem, he disagrees, you might imagine that. At a press conference last week, he said... We are expecting growth below 1% for the next three, four quarters. Is that a recession? No, it's not a recession. It's low positive growth. As was pretty much a done deal, the Federal Reserve this morning announced that it will be leaving interest rates in the U.S. unchanged at that range of 525 to 5.5%. The central bank is attempting, obviously, here to maintain the, the delicate balance that they have right now of fighting inflation on one hand while avoiding sending the U.S. economy into recession by tightening too much. The Fed rate is now at uh, a 22-year high. The central bank also this morning noted that economic activity expanded at a strong pace in the third quarter and that the labor market remains robust, although there are signs um, that inflation continues to stay elevated. Also this morning, the U.S. ISM manufacturing PMI, it slipped to 46.7 in October, and that is down from the 10-month high of 49 that we saw in September, and it is well, well below the expectations of 49. This is now the 12th straight contraction uh, in the U.S. manufacturing sector, and these numbers really highlight the impact that the high borrowing costs that the Fed has created uh, and, it, and the challenges that it's giving to uh, U.S. goods producers. Um, the only two manufacturing industries that reported growth in October were the food, beverage, and tobacco products and also plastics and rubber products. As we are now in the heart of earnings season, I'm going to cover off a few of the earnings reports that came out over the last couple of days. I'm going to start with Amgen, and Amgen reported its Q-through adjusted earnings on Tuesday, 
Earnings per share came in at $4.96. That is up from the $4.70 we saw back in 2022. It also beat expectations of $4.68. Revenue was $6.9 billion, up from $6.665 billion last year, but it did come in below expectations of $6.95 billion. The company has also raised its full year guidance, and for adjusted EPS, it's looking at $18.20 to $18.80 as the range. It also raised uh, revenue guidance to $28 billion to $28.4 billion. And again, that is up from its previous forecast of $26.6 billion to $27.4 billion. AMD also reported on Tuesday, and they came in with a stronger than expected third quarter results, but they also issued a pretty downbeat revenue guidance report. Earnings per share was 70 cents. That's up from the 67 cents we saw back in 2022. It did beat expectations of 68 cents. Net revenue for the quarter was $5.8 billion, and that is up from the $5.57 billion a year earlier. It also beat expectations that were $5.69 billion. Some of the notable takeaways from the report were the client division's revenue, which was up 42% to $1.45 billion year over year, and that is due to the higher rise in mobile processor sales. Um, gaming sales, on the other hand, declined 8% and they came in at uh, $1.51 billion. Uh, for Q4 guidance, the company said it expects revenue to be around $6.1 billion, a plus or minus $300 million, it said, and that is notably below the analyst's expectations of $6.39 billion. Stellantis also recorded Q3 net revenue on Tuesday. Revenue came in at 45.14 billion euros. That's up 7% from the 42.1 billion euros we saw a year ago. It also beat expectations of 43.75 billion euros. EV sales climbed 37% year over year. The company also reaffirmed its 2023 outlook. And it's interesting that the Eurozone is teetering on the brink of a recession and 40% of Stellantis' sales come from that region, but it does uh, say it's sticking to its guidance there. Um, it said that the work stoppages that we saw due to the uh, recent auto strikes have negatively impacted revenue by about 3 billion euros compared with what it had planned for production through the month of October. Now, Pfizer reported Q3 adjusted loss on Tuesday. The loss was 0.17 cents per share. That's down from adjusted earnings last year of 1.78 cents. Revenue from the quarter was $13.23 billion, and that's down from the $22.64 billion we saw a year earlier. Now, for 2023, the company said that it continues to expect its adjusted earnings estimates of $1.45 a share to $1.46. That's per diluted share. It also maintained its revenue projections of $58 billion to $61 billion for the year, uh, slightly below analyst expectations of $59.82 billion. Caterpillar shares were down 6% roughly yesterday when it reported its third quarter earnings, and they came in with adjusted earnings per share of $5.52, and that's up from $3.95 a year earlier. The expectations there were $4.79 a share. Revenue also was up $16.81 billion, up from $14.99 billion back in 22, and also above the expectations of $16.56 billion. So you wonder, well, all the, the numbers seem to be pretty good, but the, but the share price was down. That uh, seems to be coming from an order backlog, which declined by $1.9 billion on a yearly basis. Also this morning, CVS Health reported its third quarter adjusted earnings. They were $2.21 a share, up from the $2.17 back in 2022. It also beat expectations of $2.13. 
Revenue was $89.76 billion, and that compares with $81.16 billion a year ago. And analysts in that case had expected $88.17 billion to come in. In this news release, CVS did reiterate its full-year adjusted earnings per share guidance of a range of $8.50 to $8.70, but it did lower its gap earnings outlook to a range of $6.37 to $6.61. That is down from the previous forecast of $6.53 to $6.75. It also reiterated its cash flow from operations guidance of $12.5 billion to $13.5 billion for the year. Revenue in the healthcare benefits segment climbed 17% this year to nearly $26.3 billion with gains across all product lines. Last up on the earnings reports today, Kraft Heinz also reported its Q3 adjusted earnings today. Those came in at 72 cents per diluted share, and that is up from the 63 cents that was seen a year ago. It also beat analyst expectations of 66 cents a share. Net sales for the quarter were $6.57 billion, which is up from the $6.51 billion seen a year earlier, but it did come in below analyst expectations of 6.7 billion. The company also updated guidance for fiscal 2023. It guides with earnings per share of $2.91 to $2.99, and that compares to its prior guidance range of $2.83 to $2.91. The company says that organic sales growth for the current fiscal year is still projected to be at 4% to 6% range, and also uh, Kraft Heinz has maintained its quarterly dividend of 40 cents per share. If you own shares of any of the companies that just reported earnings, there's no doubt that the 60,000 or so Blossom users will be holding discussions about them on the app right now. Um, if you're not a Blossom user, you can download the app for free. You can set yourself up with an account. You can see what the community was saying. Um, if you want to follow my portfolio, my trades, my username is Mark B. You can look me up there and you can follow me on the app. I reported here on this show on Monday that the deadline for homeowners affected by the underused housing tax was yesterday, October 31st. Given the mass confusion this was causing to Canadian homeowners, the government actually issued a news release yesterday and they are extending the deadline uh, to allow more affected owners to meet their, their filing obligations. The release stated that the government understands that a lot, many homeowners are not aware that they're even subject to the law. The extension is going to ensure that uh, every effort has been made to inform homeowners. Now, clearly that wasn't the case before. Um, even today though, there remains a ton of misunderstanding and confusion out there. Depending on the source, even a couple that jointly owns a rental property might be considered to be in a partnership, which is legally defined as two or more people coming together in the pursuit of profit. I know there are a number of people who have already directly contacted CRA. Many have been assured that they're, if they're a legally married couple or a couple living common law, they wouldn't be required to file a return. Um, I would say whether or not you're actually subject to this filing requirement, it will depend on the specifics of your situation. And it is highly advised that if you do own a rental property with a spouse, or even if you've co-signed for a mortgage with someone, then I would definitely seek out independent tax advice. The new filing deadline is now April 30th, 2024. Shares of WeWork were down around 50% out of the gate this morning following reports that the company was expecting to be filing for bankruptcy as early as next week. The company has been in the news for the past month or so and it has been struggling with heavy debt um, and losses. Um, as of today, it has a market cap of just $121 million. At the time of recording this video, the stock was trading at $1.12. That's down about 98% this year. 
Today is Monday, November the 6th, 2023. Welcome to the show. On the program today, there is something strange going on in the labor market these days, and people are actually struggling to find work. We're going to look at the shift there. Also, RBC is warning of a major mortgage shock with almost a trillion dollars worth of mortgages coming due in the next few years. Plus, it looks like the BC legislation targeting short-term rentals is starting to take an effect. Let's get started with today's news. The lead story today just has to be what's been shaping up in the labor market over the last little while. A few months ago, when you think back, it was virtually impossible for businesses to find enough employees to staff their, their stores, to staff their restaurants. How that script seems to have been shifted, today it's becoming harder and harder for people to even find a job. The latest unemployment numbers are in for both Canada and the US. Things are quite a bit tougher for those who have been looking for work in October. Here at home, we saw the unemployment rate that shifted up to 5.7%. That's a little bit higher than the 5.6% the market had been expecting. It's also an increase from the 5.5%. Now, we saw that in July, we saw that in August, and we saw that in September. So three months at 5.5%, that's now shifted up to uh, 5.7%. Unemployment is now at the highest level that it has been since January of 2022. So during the month of August, there were 17,500 jobs added to the uh, Canadian economy. That's down, that's lower than the expectations of 22,500. So this means that the number of jobless individuals here in Canada came in at 1.2 million, just more than that, 1,229,400. And that is up 40,300 just for the month. Importantly here, just over 60% of those who are unemployed have now been unemployed without a job for over a month. And that signals uh, the increasing difficulty that people are having uh, to find jobs. Another big issue here is that in the labor market, it's the full-time versus a part-time unemployment. And yes, not everybody wants to work for, uh, full-time, not everybody can work full-time, but if you're looking at supporting the higher cost of living that we're seeing these days, obviously with uh, the inflation uh, having been what it is, having, with prices having been what they are, generally full-time is considered a preferable. In October, full-time positions actually dropped 3.3% nationwide. Um, well, at the same time, the part-time positions, they actually increased 20.8%, and that follows a 47.9%, almost 48% increase in the month of September. Question, obviously, is why is this happening? Well, first of all, the leading headlines these days always seem to point at immigration, and it really has been booming here in Canada. And the fact is that we're accepting more immigrants than we can even create jobs for. Since the beginning of this year, since January of this year, the unemployment growth has averaged 28,000 jobs a month. Population growth though, that's averaging 81,000 uh, people a month. And according to Stats Canada, there needs to be a creation of 50,000 jo uh, jobs a month just to keep the unemployment rate steady. And we've seen that just tick up. In October, as an example, we saw 85,000 people added to the labor market here in Canada, but only 18,000 jobs were created. Another factor that has to be uh, contributing this is after you know three years of you know the the kind of I guess a certain segment of the, of the population living off of you know benefits from the government, living the easy life, you know deciding that experiences were more important than actually going out and working. We're starting to see a, a group of those people running out of money. They're facing reality and they're now back in the labor pool that, that's out looking uh, for work. So that's a contributing factor as well. And lastly, uh, we can't forget that this might just be another sign that this aggressive rate hikes that we've seen from the Bank of Canada might be starting to take hold and it might be sort of soften, softening uh, the labor market. 
Now, also um, during October, the U.S. unemployment rate, it saw a 21-month uh, high. That came in at 3.9%, so way lower than here in Canada, but 3.9%. That was, again, there slightly above the market expectations of 3.8%. In September, the unemployment rate in the U.S. was 3.8%. Um, this report, October, the number of unemployed rose by 146,000. Uh, that now stands at 6.51 million people. Um, no doubt the same conditions that we're seeing here that are affecting the labor markets are having a similar effect um, in the U.S. The U.S. Federal Reserve, they've raised their target rate now uh, for federal fr funds from 0.25% in early 2022 uh, up to the current range of 525 to 5.5%. The Blossom community is continuing to grow. There's now around 60,000 members here in Canada. Some very exciting plans, I understand, for the next couple of months. If you are not a member yet, it's free to join. You just download the Blossom app. It's easy to get started. If you do set up a pro uh, profile, be sure to follow me. My username is Mark B, so M-A-R-C-B, and you can keep up to date on my holdings and the trades that I'm making. There is a recent report that's been put out by RBC Capital Markets, and this is saying that of all the mortgages in Canada with the major institutions, 60% of those mortgages will be up for renewal in the next three years, between 2024 and 2026. This is really setting up a potential disaster in what they're calling a, a payment shock uh, when it comes time for these people to renew their mortgages. And it spells uh, potential trouble for homeowners themselves who've been living at the edge of their comfort zone or the edge of their ability to actually pay their mortgages but also clearly that would be a potential problem for our banks. Uh, the RBC update, it reads, unless there are significant declines in interest rates, we believe that credit losses will inevitably rise, perhaps significantly in 2025 and beyond. Now in 2024, there are $186 billion worth of mortgages that are coming uh, up for renewal. Then when we shift up to 2025, that number goes up to $315 billion. And then just to top things off, it's expected that there will be $400 billion worth of mortgages that are maturing in 2026. Tiff Macklem, he's the governor, of course, of the Bank of Canada, and he's recently said that the first potential rate cut for the bank uh, will be middle of 2024, so middle of next year, possibly as late as 2025. It'll all depend on the economic data that come in between now and then. So if you are a mortgage holder, falls into this group probably would be prudent now to crunch some numbers look at your circumstances and make sure you're ready to handle the inevitable higher payments when they uh, when they do come due it looks like the new legislation in British Columbia that is designed to prevent people from listing non uh, primary residence properties on Airbnb similar uh, rental platforms looks like it is having an immediate effect, I would say. Um, according to an analysis done by the Globe and Mail, there are at least 22 condo owners uh, in a couple of dozen buildings in downtown Victoria, in this example, that have already put their units up for sale in the uh, last two weeks of October. Uh, these buildings that they're in actually do um, allow for short-term rentals, so it's not like they can't um, do this here. It seems to be a reaction to the new legislation. Uh, for comparison, uh, prior to the legislation being announced, there were nine units that were, that were listed for sale in early October. So quite a jump there. The new rules here, they're going to take effect in May of 2024. And it looks like investors who had previously purchased units with the sole intention, explicit intention, I would say, um, of renting them out to tourists or other short-term users, um, they're looking to exit that business. And under the uh, new legislation, the only situations where you could rent short-term units would be um, if they're part of your main or your personal residence. That would basically wipe out the majority of what are currently considered to be um, Airbnb, uh, Verbo, that type of uh, a company's units. 
Now, there are uh, a few limited exceptions to these uh, to these laws as well. There's a recent study that is out from McGill University. I covered that previously on this program. It found that about 16,000 of the 28,000 units uh, currently on short-term rental platforms in BC appear to be whole homes that are rented out repeatedly uh, for short stays. Now, in response um, to this legislation, Orion Rogers, he is a spokesperson for the Property Rights Association of BC. This is a group that represents about 2,300 property owners, most of them with short-term rentals. He said that many investors, they bought properties and they were under the impression that they were protected by existing municipality um, zoning, by, by bylaws. And the, uh, the new provincial law now overrides um, that activity that would be allowed by a municipal law. Now, he's certainly not alone. Uh, there's been a lot of controversy over these proposed laws here. You know, a lot of people have said the government is overstepping its boundaries. Uh, no doubt there will be significant litigation as this, uh, this issue works its way through the courts. Today is Wednesday, November the 8th, 2023. Welcome to the program. On the show today, the Canada Pension Plan is raising rates to shift wealth from boomers to millennials and Gen Z. We'll look at what's happening there. Also, the Canada Revenue Agency is going to make it hurt more if you owe back taxes. Plus, that's Canada announced our latest trade balance numbers this morning and they blew away market expectations. The RBC HSBC takeover is facing more headwinds. Canadian auto strike is finally over. And lastly, on today's program, we'll look at some earnings. Let's get started with today's news. There's kind of a sneaky intergenerational transfer of wealth that's going on here in Canada. And if you're a younger worker in the country, you're probably pretty happy about the news that a bunch of boomers like me, we're gonna to have to start making more contributions to the Canada Pension Plan to help pay for your retirement. Now, back in 2019, the government revamped the CPP program and they cleverly added the word enhanced. That basically means that the costs are going up Yes, benefits are also going to gradually increase over the years, but obviously those extra benefits aren't coming out of thin air, so rates have been going up ever since as well. Well, starting January 1st, 2024, so less than a month from now, we're going to see the launch of what they're calling the second additional CPP contributions, or CPP2. This is something that a lot of people aren't even aware of. Yes, we're all going to be paying higher rates once this kicks in, but this is really where it gets interesting. There is a new surtax for higher income earners. First off, as is always the case when a new calendar year comes along, our contribution rates go up across the board. So this year, employee and employer CPP contribution rates for 2024, the rate itself is staying the same at 5.95%, and they're based on the yearly maximum pensionable earnings, uh, which is increasing to $68,500 this year. So after you factor out the 3,500 basic exemption that everybody gets that you don't pay tax on, um, the maximum contribution this coming year will be $3,867.50, and that's up from the 3,754 and change that we paid uh, in 2023. If you're self-employed, you're already gonna know this, but you need to pay double. So you're now paying 11.9%. The maximum contribution you'll be making for your CPP this year is $7,735. Here's what's new though with the CPP2. For individuals earning more than 68,500 bucks, there's gonna be an additional uh, contribution, additional layer of 4% of your earnings on the next $4,700. So that takes us up to $73,000. $200 before the contributions are capped. So for employees, that's an additional $188 each. 
for the self-employed, CPP2 contribution rates will now be 8% on that extra amount. The maximum self-employed contribution will be an additional $376 in 2024. So this is where I get into the fact that the boomers like me, we're going to be subsidizing the retirement benefits for the younger demographic. The CPP enhancement, I mentioned earlier when I started this video, the benefit there really only comes if you've worked for from the years 2019 or later. So because of this, employees who are just entering the workforce now, early in their careers, definitely you're gonna see the largest increase in CPP benefits, while employees who are near the end of our working lives, we're gonna see a smaller increase. The kicker is if you're currently receiving CPP now, other than the normal inflation adjustments that you get every year, none of these extra contributions will help you. Your CPP benefits won't increase at all. If you owe the Canada Revenue Agency for overdue taxes, or if you're in the habit of skipping your installment payments as they come out throughout the year, uh, it's soon gonna cost you more. The interest rate for government uh, charges on overdue taxes on missed installment payments, that's going up to 10% on January the 1st. And this will make it more expensive, both for individuals, but also for business owners. And it, it shifts a greater priority to a lot of people to making sure that their taxes are up to date. It's been a relatively common practice over the years for many people just to ignore the installment payments. And these, these apply if you expect that your net tax in the current year is gonna be $3,000 or more. And if you've had $3,000 or more um, owing in either the previous year or the year before that, you'll, um, you will be uh, liable for paying these installment payments. And you'll know because you'll fall uh, into the group if you get a letter from the CRA during the year and it'll send you these reminders throughout the course of the year. If you don't get that letter, you probably don't fall into that category. If you choose to ignore these payments, which again has been very common practice, the CRA is gonna charge you interest retroactively when you file your tax returns. Uh, a lot of accountants um, have done for their clients, say a cost be uh, benefit analysis, or they've even just factored in the hassle of installing, uh, making the installment payments because a lot of people just hate doing that. They haven't gotten too worked up about it, uh, you know, for in the past when people have chosen to defer. I imagine that advice is probably going to change now with these significantly higher interest rates that we're seeing now. So if you do expect you're going to be owing taxes at the end of the year, it's probably a good idea to make your installment payments on time. And if you owe back taxes, uh, probably better to settle up sooner rather than later. The Blossom community is continuing to grow. There's over 60,000 members now. There's some very exciting plans coming up for the next couple of months. So if you're not already a member, it's free to join. Just download the Blossom app. It's easy to get started. If you do set up a profile, be sure to follow me. My username is Mark B. You can keep up to date on my holdings and the trades that I'm making on the platform. Statistics Canada announced this morning that the country's merchandise trade surplus for the month of September was $2 billion. And that compares with a surplus of $949 million in the month of August, and it blew away expectations of $1 billion. It is now the widest trade surplus since June of 2022. Uh, this report said that total exports were up 2.7% to $67 billion, uh, with the biggest boost coming from crude oil exports up 13.7%. Uh, total exports for the month increased 1% to $65 billion. Back in September, the Federal Competition Bureau here in Canada, it approved RBC's proposed takeover of HSBC's Canadian branches. The deal was originally announced about a year ago, and Royal Bank is expected to take over about 130 locations of HSBC here in our country. Approval by the Competition Bureau, though, isn't the last step in the process. Usually it's pretty perfunctory, but this deal still needs approval by the Finance Minister, Christian Freeland, and also the Office of the Superintendent of Financial Institutions. 
This deal has now become a bit of a political football. Uh, first off, there's conservative uh, leader Pierre Polyev. He said that he wants the government to block the transaction. And he says that you know, taking out a competitor from the landscape would hurt consumers, cause bank fees to go up. He's now joined by uh, the House of Commons Finance Committee, which has also asked Ottawa to reject the acquisition. Now for context, HSBC has about 3% market share of the domestic mortgage and deposit market. Um, that compares with RBC's current market share of around 20%. In a major step towards ending the ongoing turmoil, thankfully in the auto industry here, about 60% of Stellantis workers have voted to accept the new collective agreement. The new deal will run for three years and it'll cover around 8,200 uniform members. The key elements of the deal, this includes a roughly 20% pay increase over the three-year life of the contract. It includes additional paid holidays, cost of living allowances, and a $10,000 signing bonus for full-time employees. If you fall into the category of being a skilled trade worker, wage increases will be 25%. Now, Lana Payne, who is the Unifor National President, she says that this agreement will be in line with the previous agreements that were made with both Ford um, and General Motors. And by the end of this three-year term, a full-time production worker will make $44.52 an hour. Canada's life insurance companies have started to report their earnings. And yesterday, IA Financial reported its third quarter 2023 earnings. It had core earnings per share of $2.50, and that's up 10% from Q3 2022. The reported earnings per share, which includes the impact of volatile items, was $0.54, cents, and that compares with a penny in Q3 of 2022. The core earnings were reported at 256 million versus 241 million back a year ago. Core earnings include reported net income of $55 million and $201 million of adjustments. And these are due to unfavorable market-related impacts that differ from management's best um, estimate assumptions. It's noted on this 2022 report that the annual results have been restated for the adoption of the IFRS 17 insurance contracts, which came into effect January 1st, 2023, and the related IFRS 9 financial in, uh, instruments overlay. This is the, the, the new accounting standards, and it says that figures for 2022 are not audited and could change. Now, in the financial world, Intact Financial also reported its Q3 2023 earnings yesterday. Net income was $163 million, and that's down from $375 million a year earlier. Earnings per share, they were 83 cents a share. That's down from $2.05 per share last year. The company reported operating direct premiums written of $5.9 billion. That's a 6% increase over 2022's $5.4 billion. Underwriting income was $348 million. That was down 28% from Q3 2022. Their number there was $472 million. Rivian Automotive also reported uh, late Tuesday in its Q3 adjusted loss narrowed to $1.19 per diluted share. And that is better than a loss of $1.57 a year earlier. Um, analysts were expecting an adjusted loss of $1.32 in this case. Revenue from the quarter was $1.34 billion, up from the $536 million it saw a year earlier. The expectations for revenues were $1.31 billion. The company also provided some guidance, and it said that it has increased its full-year 2023 production guidance uh, to 54,000 units, um, up from 52,000 units. Uber Technologies reported its third quarter income. It came in with net income of $0.10 cents per diluted share. And that swings from a loss of $0.61 cents a year earlier. Analysts were expecting earnings of 12 cents a share in this case. Revenues for the quarter were 9.29 billion. That's up 11% from 8.34 billion a year earlier. 
They did miss analyst expectations, though, of $9.54 billion. Gross bookings overall were up 21%, and they saw a 31% surge in mobility and 18% in deliveries. For guidance, Uber says that it expects a Q4 gross bookings of a range of $36.5 billion to $37.5 billion. Today is Tuesday, November the 14th, 2023. Welcome to the show. On the program today, the rich keep getting richer and the poor keep getting poorer. That's what the latest numbers from Statistics Canada say. Also, did U.S. inflation go up or down in October? We're going to look at that. It didn't take long for BC Airbnb owners to conjure up new scams. Stellantis makes a new deal, and now they're ditching 50% of their non-unionized workers. And we're going to look at a couple of earnings reports. So let's get started with today's news. It's one thing if the rich keep getting richer, right? That's kind of what we expect. That's what we've become uh, accustomed to, the wealthy becoming more wealthy. But the poor are also making less money. And I'm not saying less in relation to the high income earners. That's happening, obviously. But they're actually earning less money. And that's a growing problem. In 2021, the top 1% of all taxpayers here in Canada saw their income rise by 9.4%. The bottom half, so 50% of tax filers, saw income actually decline on average by $1,400. I'm going to get more into the actual numbers in a second here, but this does raise an interesting question to me. According to the data, 22.5%, 22.5% of all Canadian income tax was paid by 1% of the tax filers. So I guess the question here is, is it fair to rely on so few Canadians to carry such a heavy tax burden? I definitely would agree that the more you earn, the more you should pay. That's the way our system works. We have a graduated tax system. It's designed so that those who can afford contribute more. The more you make, the more you pay. That's just the way it is. But should there be a limit? You know, if we look at this from an income perspective only, the top 1% of Canadian earners received 10.4% of all the income earned in 2021, but they paid 22.5% of the taxes. And you could say that that's a pretty heavy lift uh, for a very small uh, number of the people. Let's look at some of the details. As I mentioned, the top 1% of tax filers saw income rise by 9.4%. So that is an average income of 579,100. Go up to the elite, you see the top 0.1%. They saw the average total go up by 17.4%. That comes in now at just over $2 million. And not to be outdone, uh, the top 0.01%, they saw the average total income go up by 25.7%. Their average income in that category is now $7,731,400. Now, in contrast, the bottom 50% that I mentioned earlier saw income decline by $1,400 on average to an income of $21,100. Now, one thing that these um, income numbers highlight to me is the importance of investing. Now, I get it. Not everybody is in the position um, to invest. I hope if you're watching this channel, you, um, you know, you're generating uh, some form of income. Portion of that can uh, be invested and used to create that stream uh, of income. And in this case, I'm going to look at dividend income because in 2021, the top 1% of earners saw uh, pretty significant increases in their dividend income. Uh, of course, you can only create that if you actually invest. Filers in the top 1% received an average dividend income of $90,200, and that's up 12.9% from 2020. Uh, those in the top 0.1%, they received $429,500 uh, in dividend income on average, uh, and that is up um, 19% when you compare that to 2022. And if you fall into that category, the ultra elite, where you're 0.01% of income earners, 
you actually saw average dividend income in the year of $2,009,700. Now, again, of course, most people will never create uh, this type of income. But even on a smaller scale, it does show the power of building an investment portfolio and generating some form uh, of cash flow there. Now, another key source of income that was highlighted in this report are capital gains. And of the people reporting in 2021, only 12.2% of filers actually reported capital gains. So 12.2% of everybody reported capital gains. The average gain uh, reported was $37,600. Of that though, only 5% of people who reported a gain uh, recorded a gain of 131,100 or more. So most came in at much lower amounts than that. Now when capital gains are added to the total income, I mentioned earlier, the average income for the top 1% goes to $811,800, and that is up 20.5% year over year. If you fall into the top 0.1% category, your average income was, catch this, $3,230,000, all sources. That's up 27.6%. And finally, if you fall into the top 0.01% of Canadians, your total income was up 30%, and that was the average of $12,542,100. The inflation rate in the U.S. slowed to 3.2% in October. That's down from 3.7% that we saw in both August and September. And it came in below the market forecast, which were projecting a 3.3% inflation rise there. Uh, some of the biggest contributors to the drop were energy costs, as they tend to be. They were down 4.5%. Um, gasoline prices declined 5.3% in the month. Uh, utility gas service was, fell 15.8% and fuel oil was down by 21.4%. Um, it was nice to see food prices. They grew at 3.3%, but it's actually a slower pace than the 3.7% we saw back in uh, September in the U.S. Uh, shelter was down 6.7% and that is down from the 7.2% we saw a month earlier. Now, the most obvious significance of these numbers here is that from an economic perspective, it's how they will affect Jerome Powell and the Federal Reserve Board as they consider uh, the next rate announcement that comes on uh, December the 13th. So, you know, about a month or so out from now. Uh, last week, Powell said that the Fed officials were not confident yet that rates were high enough uh, to tame inflation. And it is obvious, though, that the rate infl- in- increases that the Fed have put into place so far have had an impact. And when we look at the numbers year over year, Inflation peaked out at 9.1% back in June of 2022. That is the highest level in four decades. We'll probably all remember that. Uh, They've dropped from that level to this new level in October of 3.2%. The Blossom community is continuing to grow. It's just around 60,000 or so members now. There's some, I know, very exciting plans coming up for the next couple of months. If you are not already a member, it's free to join. You just download the Blossom app. It's easy to get started. If you do set up a profile, be sure to follow me. My username is Mark B, so M-A-R-C-B. You can keep up to date on my holdings and my trades. I reported on this program a few weeks ago that the province of BC has introduced some pretty strong regulation that's designed to crack down on Airbnb and other short-term rental programs in order to open up more housing for the general population. It didn't take long uh, for some of these Airbnb uh, business owners to start fighting back. Uh, Ravi Kalan, he's the BC Minister of Housing, he showed a screenshot of a Vancouver-based rental company that's offering 500 bucks to people who will essentially break the law. Uh, he's asking them to change the, driver, the address on their driver's license to an address that the rental management company will, will select then apply for an Airbnb approval saying that that is their primary residence. Now, he says that 
Anyone considering the offer needs to understand that the scheme is illegal and those taking part in this would find themselves in, as he quoted, a lot of trouble for really no gain. Uh, the meat of the legislation, it will, it's scheduled to take effect uh, in May of 2024. The local markets in BC, though, they've already started to see an uptick in, in listings of these properties that have previously been um, used for short-term rentals and are now being put up for, for sale. It is somewhat unsure, though, whether the fake address on the driver's license is actually going to have an effect because Part of the new legislation is that the platforms are going to have to share the data that they gather uh, with the province and then local governments will then be given that information and they will be sort of tasked with ensuring that all of the listings have the proper driver's licenses um, that are issued by the province. According to an updated report by Rentals.ca and Urbanation, the average asking price for a rental unit in Canada was up 9.9% last month from a year ago. Um, that now sits at $2,178. Uh, this now we've seen rents uh, hit new highs for six months in a row. According to this report, the average cost of a one bedroom unit in October was $1,906 and that is up 14% from 2022. Uh, the average price for a two bedroom unit, $2,255 and that's a 11.8% annual jump. Um, as has been the case, Vancouver is leading the way again here as the most uh, expensive Canadian city for renters. The average one-bedroom unit listed at $2,872. Uh, the two-bedroom units, $3,777. That's hard to even contemplate that. that those, are, those are astoundingly high numbers, uh, at least in my opinion. Ironically, these are actually lower from the September asking prices, uh, but they are up 6.7% um, and 5.5% on an annual basis. Toronto, that was the next highest ranked major Canadian city, $2,607 for a one-bedroom apartment, uh, $3,424 for a two-bedroom. Calgary once again led the way for the annual rate growth. Uh, this is the ninth straight month that it has been in that dubious uh, position there. It's now asking rent, uh, the rents have risen 14.7% year over year. The average rent in Calgary is now $2,000. And $93, and Montreal was in second place with the annual rent growth. Their 10%, uh, sorry, 10.2% rate they saw last month with an average of $2,046 in October. This report also showed that a major factor that's driving up rent prices is this trend of fewer people buying houses, becoming homeowners. That's obviously in large part because of the cost of, uh, of mortgage costs, with interest rates rising as high as they have. Around 33% of Canadian households our renters, as more and more people shift to that rental category, of course, it's going to do nothing more than just drive the prices up. Auto giant Stellantis, their CFO, Natalie Knight, she said that the six-week strike that they just ratified with the United Auto Workers was longer than expected. She said the cost would uh, be around 750 million euros in terms of profitability and around 3 billion euros in revenue in the 2023 fiscal year. The company announced on Monday that it is offering 6,400 U.S. salaried employees voluntary buyouts as part of this new contract in an effort as they transition over to a more production of EVs. Under the new UAW contract, the company has agreed to offer $50,000 buyouts in both 2024 and 2026 for veteran production and skilled trade members. There are around 12,700 or so salaried U.S. employees who are not represented by a union, and this would represent about 50% of that workforce. Now, to be eligible for this buyout, you must have at least five years experience, and you would have to agree 
to depart before the end of December. Stellantis Chief Operating Officer Mark Stewart, he told uh, employees in April that a review of its operations had made it clear that they must become more efficient. And previously, back in October of last year, Stellantis offered voluntary buyouts to its U.S. salaried employees who are at least 55 years of age with 10 years or more experience. I have a couple of earnings reports for some Canadian companies. First, let's start with Suncor, and they reported their third quarter adjusted profit of $1.52 per share. That's down from $1.88 a share in the prior year, but it did beat expectations of $1.34. Cash flow from operations fell 6% to $4.18 billion, down from $4.45. Oil and gas production fell 4.6%, while its refineries operated at 99% of capacity. That's down from 100% in the third quarter of 2022. The company also did say that it is maintaining the 2023 guidance that it released uh, back in May. Also wanted to report on Algonquin Power here. They reported Q3 adjusted earnings of 11 cents per share. That's unchanged from a year ago. Analysts had expected in this case 12 cents. Net earnings were $79.3 million. That is up 8% from the $73.5 million seen back in 2022. Revenue for the quarter, $624.7 million, down 6% from $664.4 million seen a year earlier and below expectations of $643.9 million. Today is Wednesday, November the 15th, 2023. How many Canadian REITs are going to kill distributions? We're going to look at another victim in that sector. Also, we're going to cover a huge deal in the materials space. There are more job losses in the financial sector. Ontario is changing its law to help job seekers. And we're going to look at some of the latest earnings. Let's get started with the news today. It has been a tough year for the REIT area here in Canada. And now adding to the pile is a True North Commercial REIT, so TNT.UN. It's announced that it's going to be suspending its monthly distributions. And on the news uh, yesterday, shares fell almost 23%. Now this morning, as investors are digesting the news, the shares are back up in the 25% range as I'm filming this video today. Uh, the company operates REITs mostly in Ontario, but it does have operations in five Canadian provinces. It attributes the fall in net operating income to increasing vacancies post-COVID, uh, also to, as we might guess, financial or higher financing costs. Uh, the company reported its third quarter earnings on Tuesday. It noted that occupancy rates are down from 97% pre-COVID to 93% today. Now, during the news release, True North um, also announced that it is going to be consolidating its shares. So for every 5.75 uh, units you own now, those will be converted into one unit. And this is uh, an effort to distance the share price, which is really low today, uh, from that penny stock status and hopefully boost some confidence. Um, as of this morning, the shares are trading at around $1.36 Canadian. Um, earlier this month, uh, earlier this year rather, uh, in March, the REIT had already slashed its dividend by 50%. Uh, year to date, the shares are down in the 75% range. Tech Resources announced yesterday that uh, Glencore, which is the Swiss commodities giant, it has agreed to buy a majority stake in tech's steel-making coal business for $6.9 billion US dollars, and that will give them a 77% stake in the business. As part of the overall transactions, it's going to sell the rest of its uh, steel division to Nippon Steel of Japan and to South Korea's POSCO. Uh, the total transaction will be $8.9 billion once everything is wrapped up. Now, uh, Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland, she says that the deal will be very closely watched. In fact, she used the term scrutinized 
uh, by the federal government with a particular emphasis on protecting Canadian jobs, maintaining a Canadian headquarters, and also she talked about environmental concerns and the rights of the Indigenous people. Uh, the government basically wants to make sure here that the, the deal is a net benefit to Canada at the end of the day and also will be assessing whether it passes a national security test as they always tend to do on these big international deals. Um, on either of these two main factors, the government has the right uh, to reject the transaction. Now, while Tech says that it's confident of ultimately obtaining approval uh, given the lengthy review that needs to be completed, it's expecting that the transaction won't close until the third quarter of 2024. As we've seen recently, the financial space has been aggressively trimming jobs. First, we heard of big layoffs from the banks. We saw Royal Bank, Bank of Montreal, we saw Scotiabank announce layoffs. We also recently heard uh, cuts at IA Financial, at National Bank. Now, Manulife has joined in the trend and a spokesperson for the Investment Management Division of Manulife said on Tuesday, 250 jobs have been cut from its Global Wealth and Asset Management uh, Division. This equates to roughly 2.5% of the uh, staff in that, in that unit. Uh, job cuts include employees in Canada, United States, United Kingdom, and Asia. But there was no specific breakdown as to how many Canadian jobs would be affected. Now, for perspective, Manulife has around 40,000 uh, employees worldwide. If you are an investor who just likes to keep up on all of the happenings in the investment world, look no further than the social app Blossom. The community is now around 60,000 strong, it's growing, and I know there are some very exciting plans coming up in the next couple of months. So if you're not already a member, it's free to join. Just download the Blossom app, set up a profile. Be sure to follow me if you do. My username is Mark B, so M-A-R-C-B. You can keep up to date on my holdings and also the trades that I'm making. The government of Ontario has announced that it will be introducing new labor laws that are going to force employers to disclose salary information when they uh, post job openings. And one of the major objectives here is um, something that was designed to help job seekers and taking much of the guesswork out of what the salary expectations could be. And the example they give is it's very common when a prospective employee is asked in an interview, for example, what kind of salary they would expect Obviously, they don't want to say something that's too low and shortchange themselves. But on the flip side, if they ask for too much money, then they could be uh, you know, running the risk of, of being rejected. So it's hoped that posting these salary ranges are going to help employees by reducing the stress, also having more information uh, for them. So when they are going out and selecting prospective jobs, they are within the salary range that they actually need. These, of course, would come back to depending on what their own personal circumstances are. Uh, the move does echo similar legislative changes that were made in both British Columbia and Prince Edward Island over the past 18 months. Let's move on and look at a few earnings. And shares of Target were up around 17% this morning as it reported its third quarter adjusted earnings of $2.10 per diluted share. And that's up from $1.54 a year earlier. And it did also substantially beat analyst expectations, which were $1.48. Revenue from the quarter, that was $25.4 billion. That's down from $26.52 billion a year earlier, but it did beat the analyst expectations of $25.24 billion. Target says that it expects Q4 adjusted earnings to fall between $1.90 and $2.60 per diluted share. They also noted in the reports that, that they are seeing a trend where shoppers are keeping purchases more to the necessities and they are postponing other purchases 
while waiting more for sales. Home Depot also reported its third quarter numbers and the company said it earned $3.8 billion. That's $3.81 a share. That's down 12% from the $4.3 billion it earned a year earlier. Analysts had forecast earnings per share of $3.76. Revenues slipped 3% to $37.7 billion, which is slightly better than the forecast of 37.6. Sales at stores that have been open for at least a year fell 3.1% as a slowing housing market uh, continued to be a headwind for the company. Uh, Same store sales, they have now been down for the last three consecutive quarters. Now, CEO Ted Decker, he said that the company saw continued customer engagement with smaller projects. Uh, He did notice that there is a pressure on the big ticket discretionary categories. So that's causing uh, a decrease. Smaller ticket items compared with Q3 of last year, purchases over $1,000 were down 5.2%. Uh, again, as the housing market slows and con- consumers are tightening their belts. Loblaw reported here in Canada just this morning, they reported Q3 2023 revenues of $18.3 billion. That's up 5% versus the $17.4 billion in revenues in 2022. They had a slight beat of expectations of $18.21 billion. Net income was $624 million, $1.95 per share, and that compares with $559 million or $1.69 per share last year. Adjusted net earnings of $719 million, $2.26 per adjusted diluted share. Q3 2022 earnings were $663 million and $2.01 respectively. The company reported a 4.5% increase in same-store food sales and a 4.6% rise in same-store retail drug segment. Uh, It also said in its full-year outlook that it expects uh, retail business to grow its earnings faster than sales. It expects adjusted earnings per share growth in the low double digits. Coming up for the rest of the week, we have Walmart with its earnings report tomorrow. Also, Alibaba will report. Um, I do this segment on Mondays and on Wednesdays to keep you up to date with the latest important trending news. If you're not subscribed, I'd invite you to do that right now. I will also put a link in the description of this video for our Investing Academy. I would ask you to go check that out. As always, I'll thank you for watching this video. I do look forward to seeing you in a few days. Today is Wednesday, November 22nd, 2023. Welcome to the program. I want to kick things off right away with our lead story today, and that has to be uh, Finance Minister Christia Freeland, who was front and center yesterday at her news conference in Ottawa. She read her fall economic statement, and I'm going to cover off a few of the highlights uh, of her speech, starting first off with um, the document suggesting that Canada will avoid a uh, recession this year, but it does predict that economic growth is going to slow to a virtual crawl, and the finance department actually uh, is projecting the economy will grow by only 0.4% next year. Now, at the same time, the unemployment rate is expected to tick up nearly a full percentage point to come in at 6.5% by the second quarter of next year. That in and of itself equates to tens of thousands more jobs uh, being lost in Canada. On the second point here, the cost to service our debt uh, will spike in the next three years. According to a Freeland statement, the cost to borrow money that the government now owes has already spiked from 20.3 billion in fiscal year 2021 to 46.5 billion this fiscal year. And these debt service charges are even gonna be going higher in the coming years with the uh, carrying costs expected to grow to $60.7 billion in fiscal 28-29. Now, back in 2015-2016, this is the first year of this Liberal administration. The federal debt then was $619.3 billion uh, compared to about $1.2 trillion uh, today. This is projected to climb to $1.4 trillion now by uh, 28-29. 
Uh, Freeland did say in her statement that a main focus of the government is to reduce federal debt as a share of the economy um, over the median term. Now, according to the statement, the debt to GDP ratio is forecast to rise from 42.7% next fiscal year. That will eventually fall back to 39.1% by fiscal 28-29. The deficit for this fiscal year is going to come in at $40 billion. That is a tad lower than the $40.1 billion um, that was expected. The deficit for 24-25, that's now expected to be $38.4 billion, then $38.3 billion the year after, and $27.1 billion by uh, 26-27. Um, I can't be the only one who is somewhat skeptical about that trajectory, but that's what was in the report. She also did speak uh, quite a bit about the housing crisis that we're experiencing here in Canada, and there was a, a slew of new measures that uh, she introduced that are designed to increase the housing supply. Uh, starting in 25-26, it will provide uh, the government, it, the government will provide an additional $1 billion over a three-year time period to build more than 7,000 new affordable housing uh, across the country. These include nonprofit, they include co-op housing, they include public housing. Um, also starting in 25-26, there are provisions uh, called the Apartment Construction Loan Program. This will inject an additional $15 billion in new funding for the construction of more than 30,000 new rental homes um, across Canada. Uh, the finance minister also announced a new uh, Canadian mortgage charter. Uh, this, is, uh, this will set out expectations for how financial institutions work with Canadians. It's designed to provide homeowners with new rights uh, when they're facing a mortgage renewal. And the goal is really to, to provide tailored relief and ensure payments are reasonable for borrowers. Staying with the housing crisis, the government is also um, has initiated additional crackdowns on Airbnb and other short-term rental units uh, by making it less lucrative to own these units. The statement uh, yesterday proposes to deny income tax deductions uh, for expenses that are uh, incurred uh, for short-term rental income in areas where these units are not in compliance uh, with local laws. Obviously, this would be a massive blow to those Canadians who have gone out and bought units with the express purpose of using them for short-term rental market. Uh, if they cannot deduct the expenses on those units, it probably will make it virtually um, unprofitable in many of the situations. Um, if you travel, uh, you'll take note that the government says that it is going to crack down on junk fees. So this includes the costs that Canadians pay for international wireless roaming charges. And they always drive me nuts whenever I travel out of the country and I have to pay that 15 bucks a day or whatever it is. It drives me crazy. And with what happened, and it has to be the cherry on top of this update. If you're feeling stressed because your mortgage payments have spiked, if you can't afford to feed your family, if you haven't had a vacation in five years, Freeland announced yesterday that the government is going to be removing the GST and HST from psychotherapy and counseling sessions to ensure Canadians can receive the support that they need. Statistics Canada released the latest inflation numbers on Tuesday. The consumer price index rose 3.1% in October, and that is down from the 3.8% that it saw uh, in September. Uh, this data obviously is going to strengthen the bets that the Bank of Canada is unlikely to deliver another rate hike um, anytime soon. Cover off some of the highlights of this report. The largest contributors to the year-over-year -year CPI uh, continued, as they have in previous months, to be mortgage interest costs, uh, food purchased from stores, and rent. 
Uh, in the month, transportation costs fell 0.4% uh, on the strength of a 7.8% year-over-year decline in gas prices. On a month-over-month basis, gas prices fell 6.4%. Grocery prices remained pretty high, although the, the, the year-over-year trend did improve. Prices were up 5.4% in October, and that's down from an increase of 5.8% that we saw in September. Mortgage interest payments, they rose by 30.5% year-over-year in October. Um, also, rent prices rose at a faster pace in October. Uh, they went up 8.2%, and that compares to 7.3% that we saw back in September. The largest increases in rent prices were Nova Scotia. If you live there, 14.6%. Alberta saw a 9.9% increase, so almost 10%. British Columbia, not far behind, a 9.1% increase in rent. Um, and in Quebec, we saw that rise by uh, 9.1%. Now, if you are planning a vacation, prices for uh, travel tours rose 11.3% year over year in October, and that uh, follows a decline of 2.2% back in September. Um, apparently, the uh, fastest growth rate is driven by travel destinations in the United States, so you may have missed a really a nice window for travel south of the border there. You are one of the many, many Canadians who lack confidence in your investing abilities and you're trying your best just to figure this whole investing thing out. Well, first off, you're not alone. Most people in our country do grow up without any formal training in how to manage their finances. This is particularly true when it comes to investing. Now, at our Investing Academy, we offer online training. Our programs are designed to take you through the whole investment process. So you can be a raw beginner. Our goal is to take you through to becoming a fully confident investor. You can check out the Academy website for more information. I will put a link in the description of this video. NVIDIA reported its third quarter earnings yesterday, and uh, there was a pretty cool reaction to it, or some pretty impressive numbers. They actually blew past the, the analyst expectations, but seemingly they failed to meet the high expectations of actual investors. And this morning, shares are down around 3%. Uh, so for its Q3 earnings yesterday, they reported earnings of 4.2 cents a share. That's up from the 58 cents it saw a year earlier. And it also beat analyst expectations of $3.39. Revenue came in at 18.1 billion, blowing away last year's numbers of 5.93 billion. The expectations for revenue were 16.1 billion, so it also beat there. In the data center division, which is the star performer of NVIDIA's operations, it had $14.5 billion of revenue, up 279% from the same period a year earlier. For guidance, NVIDIA said that it expects fiscal Q4 revenues of $20 billion, plus or minus 2%. Now, obviously, these numbers show very, very impressive growth, but clearly investors were hoping for more. Uh, so far in 2023, the stock is up um, over 200%. Uh, and this could uh, indicate that the market basically is, is pricing these shares um, to perfection. A couple of things that stand out to me from the report here. First of all, there are companies like uh, Microsoft, Alphabet, um, AMD, all big in the AI space, and they're developing their own uh, chips or AMD in, in uh, developing new chips. Uh, this is probably weighing on the prospects for NVIDIA. Also another threat are the US curbs to exports to China that the Biden administration announced about a month or so ago. And obviously, I mean, China is the largest market for chips. Uh, these rules restrict the sale on some of NVIDIA's best products. Uh, these are done on the grounds of national security. It is Monday, November 27th today. Welcome to the program. Let's talk about Binance and crypto today. It is not pretty out there. Should the government here in Canada mandate investment strategies for Canadian pension plan? I say no. Curious to see what you think. And the Bank of Canada says that rates may have peaked. Let's get into today's news. 
with the news breaking this past week that Binance founder and now former CEO, uh, Chengpeng Zhao, CZ as he's commonly known, he has pled guilty to federal charges and the company has agreed to pay a $4.3 billion fine. And I'm left wondering, what is the overall impact that this whole scenario is going to have on the crypto space in general? Uh, it is an area, I've observed, that the leaders, at least to date, have felt pretty free to just you know ignore the rules, break the laws, as Mark Zuckerberg, as creditor, was saying, move fast and break things. And that's really been the way, that's the MO that this space has operated in. It is a world where leaders routinely live by the rule, better ask for forgiveness than permission. I wonder whether maybe some of that attitude is now coming back to haunt them. In the crypto space, um, uh, specifically recently, we've seen everything from just negligence to flat out fraud. The latest big news here, of course, is that the US government is hitting Binance, which is the world's largest crypto exchange with a $4.3 billion in fines and penalties, as well as laying federal charges against the founder CZ. With these most recent charges, and of course, this all comes on the heels of a crypto poster boy, Sam Bankman-Fried. He's been found guilty on seven different criminal charges. He's facing obviously significant jail time. You have to wonder if this is an indication uh, of that the entire system as some people are, are saying, are getting a cleansing, getting the bad guys out of the way, um, or is this just the way that the system is going to continue to operate? According to the charges out there today, uh, Binance willfully violated the Bank Secrecy Act and it operated its platform without even the basic anti-money laundering safeguards that are normally in place. So what happened? Well, for years, Binance failed to report suspicious transactions, as they're called. These include transactions where they are, there's suspicious activities, you might imagine, things involving uh, ransomware, terrorist financing, um, high-risk jurisdictions is a common uh, area that's covered, um, dark net markets and scams, and child sexual abuse material. For years, Binance simply allowed its users to open accounts and trade without submitting any identifiable information beyond an email address. They could open up an account simply with an email address. And then when identification was necessary, they committed fraud uh, to help their customers. I think most shockingly to me, and I'm saying this whole thing is pretty shocking, but even the worst of this, even after the government, the US government announced a crackdown on crypto exchanges uh, last year, Binance still tried to help some clients avoid scrutiny. And in one case, this is a, the, a case I highlighted in the, uh, in the charges, its chief compliance officer tried to help a client who had a U.S. passport by asking if someone else with a non-U.S. passport could re-register for them. Top compliance dog looking for ways to cheat the system. That just tells you pretty much um, everything you need to know about the whole fiasco here. The suit alleges that Binance hurt the financial markets by intentionally avoiding basic fundamental obligations that apply to all exchanges all the while collecting approximately $1.35 billion in trading fees from its customers. So as a result of these most recent negotiations, CZ will now step down and plead guilty to a breaking U.S. anti-money laundering laws. This is hilarious. Your company has just been fined $4.3 billion. You plead guilty to criminal charges. And yet you find a way to put out a positive spin on this. On his X account, he posted... On that note, I am proud to point out that in our resolutions with the U.S. agencies, they do not allege that Binance misappropriated any user funds and do not allege that Binance engaged in any market manipulation. So this is um, pretty rich. When you're going to jail, probably, he hasn't been sentenced yet, but his sentence hearing is coming up, I believe in February, quite possibly going to jail. You just paid this massive fine and you're saying, yeah, but you know what? We didn't steal anybody's money. 
although there were billions of dollars apparently worth of losses that uh, customers did incur as a result uh, of everything going on. Now, this also is coming from a guy who posted in January, I guess this year as his New Year's resolution. On Twitter, he posted, we'll try to keep 2023 simple, spend more time on less things, do's and don'ts. One, education. Two, compliance. Imagine that. Three, product and service. And four, ignore fear, uncertainty, doubt, fake news, attacks, etc. So it looks like maybe some of the news out there wasn't uh, quite as fake after all. Now, there is some speculation out there that uh, the global asset manager, the giant out there, BlackRock, they may have played a role in the uh, problems that Binance finds himself in. Uh, BlackRock is uh, one of a number of managers, of course, who have applied for approval right now, vying to launch uh, spot Bitcoin ETFs. Back in June, Travis Kling posted on Twitter, there is no chance, and I mean zero, that this ETF is approved with Binance in its current position of market dominance. Interesting here, just last week, reps from BlackRock, they met with uh, investment managers from Grayscale and they went to the SEC to discuss the current pending applications. It is definitely too early to tell yet, but the timing of this is certainly all very interesting. Something that hasn't received as much coverage as I think it should have is part of the fall economic statement that was made by Finance Minister Christia Freeland last week. Um, she noted that Ottawa wants to see Canadian pension funds dedicating a larger portion of their um, investments in their accounts um, to Canada. And she promised that the government would make changes to make this option more attractive. The federal government has pledged in its economic statement to work collaboratively, as they put it, with Canadian pension funds to create an environment that encourages these funds to put more of the trillions of dollars of assets that they collectively manage to work domestically here in Canada. At this point, there aren't a ton of details out there about how Ottawa plans to do this, but it does certainly add some support. There's a lot of lobbyists who believe that Canada is getting shortchanged by the professionals who manage these massive funds. Not everybody, as you might imagine, is on board with this. There are a number of pension fund managers out there. They're worried that if, you, if they're forced to add more Canadian exposure to their funds, this would increase uh, concentration risks, and they want to be able to continue to invest to the broader global markets. Evan Siddell, who was the chief executive officer of the Alberta Investment Management Corp, so AIMCO, um, he says that Ottawa's move is a mistake that changes the current mandate, which is focused quite probably, possibly, uh, the best thing on the best returns. Uh, he wrote in an opinion piece uh, last week at the Globe and Mail, he said that a new mandate like this would shift the bill for Ottawa's failure to pensioners. He also said that he doesn't believe that they need to increase investments in Canada and says AIMCO must be free to seek investment opportunities by achieving the portfolio benefits of global diversification. So what do you think? Should the government be stepping in and mandating these massive funds out there including the funds inside the Canada Pension Plan. They're managed by the uh, CPP Investment Board. Should they leave the managers alone to do their own thing, or should they mandate these changes, have them invest more here in Canada? If you are one of those many people out there who lacks confidence in your investing abilities, you're trying your best to learn this whole investing thing, but you're just uh, struggling with that, you're not alone, which is really important. You wanna feel like you're surrounded by people who will help you. Uh, most people grow up without any formal training in uh, how they manage their finances. This is especially true when it comes to managing your investing. Now, at the Investing Academy, we offer online training. Our programs are designed to take you through the whole investment process. So you could be a raw beginner. We want to take you through to being a fully confident investor. Check out the Academy website for more information. I will put a link in the description of this video. 
Bank of Canada Governor Tiff Macklem, he and his crew are looking over the numbers right now as they are pondering their next interest rate decision, which is scheduled uh, for December 6th, so coming up quite soon. Uh, the governor said last week that the bank sees evidence that the, the tighter monetary conditions that they have been uh, implementing over the last year and a half, I guess now or so, um, they are working to cool the demand in the economy and he expects that uh, the activity in Canada, the economic activity will remain weak for the next few quarters. That's kind of a good news, bad news thing, um, I suppose. Most importantly here in his comments was that he said that borrowing costs may be restrictive enough now uh, to get inflation under control. He didn't rule out further possible rate hikes. He said the bank still needs, of course, to stay on top of things and, and make any adjustments that might be necessary if inflation proves to be more stubborn than they're expecting. Uh, Statistics Canada reported October uh, inflation numbers last week. It saw the consumer price index growth drop to 3.1% in October. That is down from the 3.8% that we saw in September. Today is Wednesday, November 29th, 2023. I have a lot to cover off in the show today. First off, the investment world has lost an icon. The First Canadian Bank has reported its earnings. The finance minister is looking at a new tax. The Panama Supreme Court shuts down a big mine and Air Transat flights might be canceled starting in January. Let's get started with today's news. Well, it just wouldn't be right if I started today's broadcast without acknowledging uh, the passing of Charlie Munger yesterday, who of course worked alongside Warren Buffett for so many decades at Berkshire Hathaway and who many say was actually um, critical in Buffett's success. When I heard the news yesterday, um, I was saddened by this and uh, I have some personal experience. I feel blessed that uh, on three opportunities, I was able to travel down to Omaha to the Berkshire AGM and I you know, saw Munger live on stage for so many hours. My strongest memory of him comes from the first meeting I attended way back in 2005. And I was still a pretty young advisor back at the time. And I walked away from that meeting, I'm utterly impressed. And I was impressed with both Buffett uh, and Munger. And I can honestly say that these two men motivated me and they helped shape uh, my career as an investment advisor. I still, still to this day, think back to that first meeting and I'm inspired by it. After my son Brandon joined me in the business, I'd always uh, wanted to go back to another AGM with him so that he could share in that experience that I had so many years ago. I knew it would be a good thing for him to, to go through that as well. Uh, thankfully, we did get that chance in May uh, just this year, a few months ago. So um, at the time, of course, nobody knew for sure that it would be Munger's last meeting, but as fate would have it, it, it was. Um, I'm thankful I was able to fulfill that dream that I had with my son. Um, the legendary Berkshire AGMs are never going to be the same. Uh, Charlie Munger would have been 100 on January 1st, uh, just a month from now. The Canadian banks have kicked off their earnings season and the Bank of Nova Scotia was the first to report its fiscal Q4 numbers. It reported yesterday and following the report, the shares were down about 5%, but now that the dust has settled and people have had a day to think about it, the shares are up around 3% this morning. The bank reported earnings of $1.26 per share. That's down from $2.06 a year earlier. The expectations here were $1.65. That's obviously a big drop year over year and it's a big mess in expectations. Revenue from the quarter was $8.31 billion, so that's actually up from the $7.63 billion we saw a year earlier. It also beat on expectations of $8.18 billion. 
Expenses rose to $5.5 billion during the quarter, and that is an increase of 22%. There's going to be lots of focuses this go around on provisions for credit losses uh, as we go through the various banks, and we're expecting those all to go up. These are funds that are set aside to cover loans that may default. Bank of Nova Scotia really kicked things off. They set aside more than $1.2 billion to cover bad loans during the quarter, and that's more than double the $529 million worth of provisions that it had uh, just this time last year. Scotiabank also reported an $89 million charge related to reducing its real estate footprint, and it says that it has plans to close more branches. Now, Alimentation Qatar also reported uh, yesterday here in Canada, net earnings came in at $819.2 million. That's 85 cents per diluted share. Those numbers are up from the $810.4 million or 79 cents a share a year ago. Adjusted net earnings were $792 million. That's compared with $838 in Q2 of 2023. Revenues were up $4.1 billion. That's 1% year over year. Finance Minister Christia Freeland, she tabled a package of tax measures yesterday that includes provisions for what they're calling a digital services tax. And this is a tax that the Liberal government first proposed three years ago, but it has been delaying putting it uh, into effect. And it hopes that there could be an international deal reached that determines how online-based multinationals uh, should be taxed in this digital economy that we're living in today. Um, if this tax is implemented, it would be a 3% tax on certain revenue earned by large businesses from certain digital uh, services. So not you know very specific there at this point. It is a tax that is primarily aimed at large digital service providers such as uh, Amazon, Google, Netflix, uh, Spotify, those types of companies. Um, although this recent motion doesn't specify exactly when the tax would take effect, the finance minister's comments on Tuesday did strongly hint uh, that it might take effect uh, shortly on January 1st of 2024. Now, according to the 2021 budget, the DST would eventually bring in about $900 million a year once it would be fully uh, implemented. Now, as you might imagine, uh, this move by Ottawa has been criticized. The uh, Business Council of Canada, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, and U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai, they've all urged Canada not to move ahead uh, unilaterally with the DST, and they want instead to wait until a global deal is reached. Shares of Canadian-based First Quantum Minerals continue to fall as news has come out of Panama where its president uh, said that First Quantum's lucrative copper mine, Cobre Panama, uh, is going to be shut down. And this comes on the news of Panama's Supreme Court declaring that the contract that First uh, Quantum has is has been deemed to be unconstitutional. Um, in a televised event on Tuesday, uh, President Laurentino Cortizo, he said that the orderly and safe closure of a mine would begin as soon as the Supreme Court's ruling was formally published in the official Gazette. First Quantum said on Tuesday that it has suspended commercial production at the mine and was putting it into care and maintenance. And in a statement, um, it said, we want to affirm our unwavering commitment to regulatory compliance in all aspects of the operations within the country. We will comment further as additional details on the ruling are made public. Shares of First Quantum are down around 60% in the past month. If you have travel plans for the new year, uh, this story isn't going to be great news probably. Um, an overwhelming majority of flight attendants at Air Transit, they voted to put the union into a legal strike uh, position as early as January. A, uh, a unit of QP, which represents 2,100 um, Air Transit workers, they voted, catch this, 99.8% in favor of going on strike if necessary, uh, if it can't come to a new collective agreement uh, with the airline. 998 that's a pretty... 
a pretty resounding number. In the statement, they said that the vote reflects the flight attendant's exceptionally high level of dissatisfaction with their working conditions, particularly with wages and purchasing power. Following a dip during the COVID-19 pandemic, the overall outlook for the industry is once again extremely positive. The current labor agreement that they have in place expired actually over a year ago in October of 2022, and the parties have been in negotiations since April of this year. You might imagine a major issue on the table is compensation. Uh, a union spokesperson said that more than half of Air Transat's uh, flight attendants have been forced to take on a second or even in some cases a third job to make ends meet. Starting salary is only $26,577 a year. The union has said that in the event of a strike, all of the airline's flights would be uh, canceled starting in January. If you are one of those many people out there who lacks confidence in your investing abilities, you're trying your best to learn this whole investing thing, but you're just uh, struggling with that, you're not alone, which is really important. You wanna feel like you're surrounded by people who will help you. Uh, most people grow up without any formal training in uh, how they manage their finances. This is especially true when it comes to managing your investing. Now, at the Investing Academy, we offer online training. Our programs are designed to take you through the whole investment process. So you could be a raw beginner. We want to take you through to being a fully confident investor. Check out the Academy website for more information. I will put a link in the description of this video.